0: Welcome back to How Do You Do? I'm Flo. Hi, I'm Hat. And this week you're in for such a treat as we've been joined by the one and only James Cooper who is not only an exec producer here at a label in Fremantle but he is also one of the three voices of the amazing podcast My Dad Wrote Porno. We're chatting to James about his route into TV, how
1: he started, some very obscure job he did with Bebo way back in the day when Bebo was still a thing. And also how he manages his job as an exec producer at Fremantle and his incredible side hustle, My Dad Wrote a Porno, one of the biggest
0: podcasters in the UK. I was really surprised by his story, actually. I actually worked with James for a little bit and I didn't know about any of these stories that he's told. What did you do for James when you Uh, worked with him? So I did some development for James. So we were just coming up with different ideas for shows. We only worked together for about a month um, yes, I didn't know any of these shows that he'd worked on before. So I think you'll really enjoy this show and we'll speak to you again at the end of the episode. Hi,
2: James. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. This is a way more professional setup than I'm used to. This
1: oh, is wow. Nice.
2: <laughs> From the lighting to the microphones to the fact you two are on a sofa and put me on <laughs> what can only be described as a dining room chair.
0: <laughs> He's only the best welcome. For our
2: it's like when i have friends around to my house and i haven't really got enough chairs and <laughs> so you have to get you? the emergency <laughs> fold out chairs from the side
0: dare you <laughs> we're very accommodating let's start from the beginning a Million dollar before we, question. before we get into the chairs million dollar question what do you do
2: oh good question i'm a producer a television producer and i suppose a podcaster
0: I think you definitely are a podcaster. Yeah.
2: 100%. <laughs> but I've never defined myself like that, weirdly.
1: And how do you do it?
2: Oh, oh, blind. is this the format? Do I just have to talk now for half an hour? Yeah, no,
0: that's it. That's <laughs> our questions done. Just you now. Flo and I will go.
2: Uh, well, I'm a producer by day and a podcaster by night, I suppose. I kind of, podcasting is my side hustle, if you like. And then I'm a producer by day. So I work at a company called Fremantle.
1: Which is where we're recording.
2: Yeah. I'm executing a show for BBC Three at the moment called Eating With My Ex. And then my podcast that I do with two of my friends, it's called My Dad Wrote a Porno.
1: Down now, now. now, now.
2: Boo. <laughs> In which my friend's dad, Jamie, wrote an erotic novel called Belinda Blinked. He reads a chapter, an episode, and we take them the Mickey out of it, I suppose. <laughs> critique it. Lit- give literary <laughs> critique.
1: And if you haven't heard it, you've probably been living under a stone for the last few years.
2: Yeah, a lot of people like porn. Who knew? <laughs> uh, it's
0: shocking. Yeah. You're obviously a very busy man. What does an average day look like for you?
2: Well, I. You, can do, today. Cl- what did you do today. What did I do today? Yeah. What did I do today? What day are we? Tuesday. um So my job is kind of split in two a a bit, I guess. It's a bit of development, and then it's also a bit of producing. So a lot of my time is spent around developing new TV ideas and then taking them to pitch to channels. So today I did a pitch for BBC Three, which went on actually we got one idea out of it which was good and then the show eating with my ex that we do we are in production at the moment so we're actually filming as we speak so i'm more of an exec on that so we meet a couple of times a week and we talk about any issues with contributors we approve any kind of creative decisions and who we've cast that week for the show as well as you know day-to-day just being across all the shoots that are going on and just being that kind of Overseeing kind of voice within everything. Everyone else is kind of in it day to day, and we can be a bit more looking over everything and just making sure everything's ticking over and we're getting everything we need to. And that was my average day today. And then I also fell over today and banged my knee. Oh,
0: that wasn't no. really nice. Oh, and someone
2: no. yelled a really strong expletive that I'm not going to repeat at yeah. me. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Not, in the not because I fell yeah, over. No. So and cool. That was a separate <laughs> incident. uh So that's been today.
1: And going back to what you said about pitching to BBC Three, what's the steps that you have to take to pitch to BBC Three?
2: Well, first of all, you try and find out what they're actually looking for.
1: And how do you find that out?
2: Because we're working with them already, we have access to the commissioners, so we can kind of ask them direct from time to time. I mean, you don't get a great deal of face time with them or time to ask them things, but when you do, it's worth asking what they're looking for and what slots they need to fill and what sort of tone they're looking for. And they'll normally have a good idea about what sort of areas they're looking for ideas for so that's always our starting point but even before that step if you're kind of starting out the the bbc's and channel 4 well all the channels actually are really good at having the information on their website and they can they've got videos and there's pages on their commissioning if you just look search bbc commissioning or channel 4 commissioning they've all got loads of information about what they're looking for so that's always a good starting point for us as well and then there is a period of development before you end up taking it to a channel. So finding good talent for a show or coming up with formats and coming up with formats can be quite tricky in itself because, you know, you can have the, the, the seed of an idea, which is often where things start. Or even sometimes even I knew a company that just wrote good titles on a wall. They didn't even know what the idea was. They just wrote loads of titles and then tried to find an idea from that title so you can always have the seed and an idea but then making it into a full blown format that can sustain like half an hour or an hour takes a bit of time i find that quite tricky sometimes it's it's hard to like think about what people are actually going to see on screen when you're developing an idea and that's always the biggest stumbling block when you come to pitch something like what will we see here how will this play out and until you're actually making something it's probably quite hard to see so you just got to be good at helping the channel see that So, once you've kind of fleshed out the format, getting talent involved, the right talent, who's going to host your show, who's going to be in your show, and getting them on board in some way, the more solid interest you can have from a talent before you go and see a channel, the better chance you've got of selling the idea. And then we put all that in a deck, like a PowerPoint or a keynote. So, detailing the format, who we've got involved. Lots of visuals, commissioners love pictures and visuals. The more they can kind of see what the show is, the better. And then you have to try and get a meeting with them, which is probably the hardest step because they're so busy. But yeah, once you do, like today, we just had an hour. We had, we took, I always say, like, it's best to take three ideas max, the three ideas you really believe in the most. And then that gives you ample time to kind of pitch each of them. And it makes it seem like you've really thought about those three ideas rather than just taking crap loads of ideas and just, <laughs> hoping one of them will land.
1: And do you ever go to a commissioner with ideas that aren't related to something that they've thrown out, or something that they're looking for?
2: More often than not, yeah. <laughs> so, like, Because I just think sometimes commissioners don't know what they're looking for. They can say areas they might be interested in and if you try and fulfil that, I don't know, to me sometimes it feels a bit box-ticky and for me it's always about finding, okay, what's the next, you know, I think we're about to have a wave of uh, shows around drag. On UK TV, it hasn't started yet, but I think they're all coming. So someone obviously saw that before it became a thing and started pitching shows around that. So I'm always like, okay, how do we get one step ahead? What's the next thing? Trying to think about ideas that they might not necessarily have thought of.
0: So it's kind of about anticipating what they will want in the coming kind of like months and stuff which is better than what i do which is where i just go on rhymezone.com and find all my all of my ideas come from rhymezone.com shout out to rhymezone.com for for all my titles
2: but it is such a um i don't know i don't know like it is a really difficult like getting a show commissioned for for a broadcaster is not easy they're all interested in big talents I also think like the more you can make them feel involved in the development of the idea, the better. I try not to go with anything that's too completely fully formed because they obviously, it's got to be a collaboration and they've got to feel like they have a part in developing the idea with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always think that's really important and you're more likely to kind of get something away that way. But there's also loads of routes to commissioning. I mean, Eating With My Ex was a a short-form show before it was a long-form show. So we made 10 five to seven minute episodes, a couple in each episode for BBC Three, but it was a really good way of showing the format. And it did really well. So off the back of that, they ended up deciding that they could move it to television uh, and make it into 30 minute episodes.
1: So obviously a lot of people recognize your voice from Madhead wrote a porno.
2: Oh, I'm sure. People are like, (laughs) wait a minute.
1: (laughs) I thought this was born. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you've been in the TV industry for a long time. So how did you start out way back in the beginning?
2: Uh, My first job was online. I've done a real mix of online and TV stuff. So, my first job was for Bebo. Do you remember Bebo?
1: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God, Bebo. The
2: social network Bebo. (laughs) I think it died not long after I started. (laughs) I feel like. Bebo, that's
1: fantastic. (laughs) Do you remember when some people
0: said Bebo? No. Wow. Bebo? Just me. (laughs) Because that was
2: around the time of MySpace. And what else was around that time?
0: Oh, FreeWebs.
2: Free webs Free webs
0: was pre Bebo and you just made your own website and basically you just had a guest book where you'd cut, like check into someone else's website and you'd be like great site love your pics hun and then you that you'd leave Oh okay. so it's
2: like a really early version of a social media Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay
0: yeah Okay <laughs> Any-
2: <laughs> anyway Bebo <laughs> Um Bebo so so this was Bebo was like pre youtube Bebo was making like digital short form video series before YouTube existed, so they did stuff like Sophia's diary. do you remember Sophia's diary? No, it was no. obviously huge <laughs> um, They just made these short scripted series and then they commissioned us to make a kind of online series i guess so it was for um r d f who's another production company in London, and it was i don't even know what to call it it was a An idea called A Message from Earth. And the idea was we were sending 500 digital messages into space, broadcasting them to the nearest planet that might have life on it. (laughs) The nearest planet that might have life on it is 20 light years away, and it's called Gliese 581c. So we were sending kind of a time capsule, I guess, to show what was going on with us. So it was around the time George Sampson won Britain's Got Talent, Cheryl Cole was really big at the time and basically Bebo users could submit their messages and decide what was going in this digital time capsule oh so we're getting a lot of dick pics can I say dick pics
0: I've said it we were you getting a lot did. of George Sampson
2: a lot of Cheryl Cole um dick yeah what I don't know what trash we've sent into space and actually since like an, an official space authority has come out and said we should never have sent it without approval <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Because we could start like an intergalactic war, which I'd be quite proud of if that ever happened. <laughs> so we were meeting celebrities, asking what they would put in the time capsule to encourage other people to do the same. We were just making all this video content, basically. And it ended with, uh, we went to the Ukraine to broadcast the message from a Soviet, an old Soviet radar telescope. We drank a lot of vodka with every meal Because we were like an official delegation. So we were like shotting vodka with 17 people from the uh, Ukrainian Space Force. How old were you? Uh, 24? 23, 24? And we'd have to do toasts with shots of vodka. And if 17 were people around the the table, then we'd do 17 shots of vodka for lunch. Oh, God.
0: And then make a
2: show. Yeah. So so anyway, sorry. That was my like first job. Uh, and then we did some other shows to Bebo and then I got my first job in proper telly, a logger on an idiot abroad, you know, the Carl Pilkington show Ooh. television's weird because you do kind of have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Mm. Um, so I knew even though I'd learned some skills from doing the digital stuff, I would have to kind of just start again, and work my way up, which I did. So I did that. And then I went back into digital for a bit. I did The Voice and X Factor. I was working on the digital side of those shows, so making all their video content across the apps and social media and blah, blah, blah. And the thing about working in digital is you learn a lot of the skills that makes you a kind of one-man band. Like you learn how to shoot, you learn how to edit, uh, you learn how to write. I had to write scripts and, you, and write all the social media stuff. You just get very good at a bit of everything. You kind of come we mm. Well, not v- very good. <laughs> Tooting my own trumpet. But like, <laughs> you just learn more skills and I think that makes you more of an asset. Then what did I do? I can't even remember. Then I think I came to Shotglass and then worked with my, my boss, Kat, and kind of ended up doing more TV stuff.
0: So you've worked on just a crazy array of shows. Mm. Have you always known you wanted to get into TV?
2: Well, TV was always the aim and mm. then straight out of uni the Bebo job came up so I was like well that feels like a good entry level job Mm. Uh, and I've always just said like I just figure like if someone gives you an opportunity just take it because you don't know where else other things will lead I just wanted to get to London like it's hard enough getting into London as it is so when there was a job that I was like yeah I'll do that plus it sounds absolutely mental Mm. (laughs) Uh, and it worked out well
0: yeah who knew I just used to use Bebo to list the bands I liked not yeah. even to anyone in particular, just just a list.
1: So James Cooper, what were your favourite shows growing up?
2: Favourite shows growing up? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, well, I used to love like Saturday Night Telly, mm-hmm. like Noel's House Party, and all that sort of thing. I was just a massive telly addict. Like I'd watch TV all the time, mm. and my grandma would be like trying to pull me away from the i'd sit right close up to the television (laughs) you got square eyes (laughs) um yeah but it just became a thing in our family that i would always be found watching telly Mm -hmm. so i always knew i wanted to do it i always wanted to work in it
1: that's a funny thing when people used to say you get square eyes when you watch tv people don't say that anymore that is no because there's so many shapes
2: (laughs) of (laughs) televisions
1: You can have vertical TV, vertical. you can have one by one TV. Yeah, exactly,
2: you get four by three
1: eyes.
0: <laughs> and that, listeners, is a type of video format. <laughs> um, yes. So I had a bit of a stalk of you on your LinkedIn today. Oh. Um, yeah, it was fun. Um, and I saw that you, I'm not sure about this, but you used to be a presenter when you were at uni? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. Is that yeah. true?
0: Um, so what made you want to go behind the camera instead of
2: stay? No, but he, t- he wanted me in front of it. <laughs>
0: on oh, the face of podcast.
2: The face of podcast. <laughs> uh, I tried my hand at it. I did it at uni. Again, uni, We. I did history as my degree, but I learned a lot of skills in the student TV society. So I did a bit of presenting, I did a bit of camera, a bit of editing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then when I came to London, I won a competition to be a T4 presenter for a weekend. Amazing. So that got me my little taste of presenting. And then I really tried to get like an agent and things and it didn't really happen. So it was more out of necessity than (laughs) than me going, I'm going to move behind the camera. My voice will be stronger (laughs) behind the lens. (laughs) Um, But actually, now I'm really glad I did because there's more creativity behind the camera. And actually, I I feel like presenting is a bit of a dying art these days. There's not many presenters? Well I think you
1: do different kind of presenting like you think about the smaller formats on BBC3 and on YouTube and stuff,
0: like you could almost call like a vlogger a presenter. Well yeah, people just make themselves presenters now I guess, aren't they?
2: Yeah, Yeah. and that's what I really like about now and about doing the podcast and things with the world now, anyone can create their own stuff and they can express themselves how they want to, so that's better.
0: Mm -hmm. What did you present for T4?
2: quickly? T4 for a weekend, I went to Miami with, with the whole gang. And uh,
0: Which gang was yeah, it? The,
2: it was Alexa Chung, Steve Jones, Makita Oliver, and Rick Edwards. Oh,
0: Makita Oliver! We used to love Makita Oliver. We always, always pretend yeah, to be Makita I loved Oliver.
2: She's dead nice. <laughs> I really liked Alexa Chung. Actually, she's a bit <laughs> geeky and dorky. And can we
0: find that
1: on YouTube?
2: No, I no, I don't think so. I mean, good luck. <laughs> if you really want to waste your time,
1: Well will try. If you want to see
2: a fat boy with a bowl cut? <laughs> sat next to Alexa Chung trying to string a sentence together. (laughs) Actually, if you just Google that, that that's probably how you'll find it.
1: So then going back to the beginning of TV, so you used to be a location assistant on an idea
2: abroad, is that right? That was one of my jobs. I kind of did a bit of everything, but towards the end, they needed a location for a shoot. So I, I think I was trying to, upscale what I did good show to work on it was it was a nice team I mean I was doing like the the low I don't want to say lowest job but I was doing like the first wrong rung on the ladder job so I was literally at my computer every day I was just watching all the rushes of the show and transcribing everything they said basically that was my job so no it wasn't the most fun job but it was a way in and sometimes you got to do those jobs to like meet the right people and get some experience. And I do think even if you're doing that job, I've seen it done really badly, so you can make sure you're doing it well and you can, like, stand out from the crowd, even at the smaller jobs, to help you progress quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think you can always be memorable, like, whatever role you're in. If you're just, like, really useful, people Mm -hmm. are always going to remember you. Um, What's your favourite show you've worked on, then, in any capacity?
2: Oh... I did love the space job. That was hilarious. Like, not just because it was my first job, but because it was mad. Felt like one of those old telly jobs I always used to hear about that was a bit chaotic and a bit of a weird concept. And it was all a bit smash and grab. We were just trying to get stuff where we could and all that sort of thing. So that was, I really look back on that fondly. But as far as more recently, I'd have to say like eating with my ex, only because... It's a show that I came up with. That It's just been a really nice process of seeing something you came up with come to screen, seeing it actually happen, and actually getting a team of people who can make it properly and can make it the best it can be has been really nice.
0: It must be really exciting to see a show, especially if you've developed a show, to then go into the production of it. That's something I've never experienced because I just do development. Is Do you have a preference for being in development or being in production?
2: Production, definitely. Only because development, 99% of the time you're doing work and it goes nowhere. And you're like, why did I bother? So that's why I like production. You just, at least you're working towards something that you know people are going to see. But I think I'm quite rare as well in the fact of being able to develop something and then getting to actually make it. So I'm in quite a fortunate position. But it seems mad to me that someone comes up with the idea and then someone else makes it. Feels like if you've come up with a concept, why shouldn't you be the one to then see it through
0: Mm. yeah it's really frustrating especially if you've been kind of working on something for a long i've had projects where i've been working on it for like a month and then it just gets passed on and you don't even hear like it might get commissioned and i didn't even hear and it was like
2: oh Oh, really yeah yeah yeah. yeah. like i say i'm sure that's more the norm and i've just been lucky in this instance that i've been able to like see it through because i don't think it always happens
1: and can you explain a bit about where you work in Fremantle? So that people understand a bit more about how, why that's different to a normal kind of development and production role. Uh,
2: Well, I work in on the seventh floor, in the corner of the seventh floor, (laughs) I keep myself tucked away in a label called Shot Glass. So we're almost like a little startup within the company. We, Mm. our focus is younger audiences coming up with ideas for younger audiences. And there's literally three of us on the team. We're quite a small label, but I guess it means that's kind of another one of the reasons I've Come up with the idea and then taking it into production because there's not many of us.
0: So, you just mentioned you've worked on a lot of younger skewing shows. So, Shot Glass make a lot of shows like Eating With My Ex, and you worked on a show for BBC Three called Free Speech. So, how do you think the TV industry is changing, and do you think that production companies need to adapt?
2: Honestly, I don't know if I think it is. Like, the distribution's changed, but the content that's being made, I wouldn't say there's a massive difference just the quality is going up and the the money involved is going up and the expectation I think is going up as far as the level of talent you need involved in an idea uh the production values of a show probably for not much more budget than you were on before uh but it was funny like i remember because i i worked in like digital for a while doing other shows and there was all this talk of digital's going to kill television blah, blah blah But it's actually never been stronger and there's never been more variety.
0: Is there Uh, a show you've seen recently that you think is doing something really groundbreaking or different? Do
2: you know what I love at the moment? Big Little Lies.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic.
2: And like as far as a show that's got, it's got like Meryl Streep in it, Nicole, like huge Hollywood stars. You would never have got that 10 years ago. That's the biggest change that TV can now compete with film in terms of budgets and the, the scale of stars they're getting in it. But we're to, I'm talking about like the super premium stuff. And also, you know, it's a show telling women's stories. It's all about women. I think representation's getting better. I still think it's got a lot of a long way to go. But I think there's a way more awareness now of making sure lots of different backgrounds are represented on screen and telling different types of stories. But fundamentally... That television's going to die idea never came to pass. And actually, because you can watch it on the go, because you can access it wherever you want, I think television's actually never been stronger.
1: So we can't do the whole interview without chatting about Madera and Porno. Mm -hmm. So how did that change things for you when that started happening in terms of life balance?
2: uh well i got busier because i have to do it outside of work so a lot of evenings and weekends were spent recording or just doing whatever work was required for it and because i enjoy it so i kind of see it as a bit of a passion project i'm happy to do those hours outside of my day job and there's three of us to share the load the two who i do the podcast with are from uni Mm. And we all just kind of learnt our skills from uni and working together over the years. So we all kind of brought different skills to the table.
1: There's a really nice idea as well of everyone coming up at the same time. So if you're doing stuff with friends as your side hustle or even in your main hustle. It's lovely to see like skill sharing. So a friend reached out the other day and he wants to do his own short and he's been saving up for ages and emailed me saying he wanted to produce I've never produced anything scripted, but then it's a chance for me to learn and for him to learn. And we're all like learning at the same time. And it's great to see everyone coming up at the same time.
2: I'm a big believer in that as well. When I was first starting out, I kept going to talks and things. I was like, bit of a geek I'd go to like networking events and things like that and
1: not a geek good experience
2: (laughs) (laughs) well and trying to get to chat to the more senior people or the exec producer or blah blah and now looking back I've realized the best thing you can do is to work with people your age and to kind of like you say like work your way up together you're not going to get very far if you're going straight to the top all the time. You've got to be confident in the process and do good work at whatever level you're at because it will grow and you'll move up the chain. Don't expect overnight that you're going to be in the top job. You all kind of grow together. And now I've been in it 10 years. I've, I'm kind of seeing that happening. Mm. And, you know, I, like, I'm like i quite impatient. I'm, sometimes I've been like, oh, God, I just want to like... Have a nice life and get paid a little money and have a show on TV and blah, blah, blah. But it does take time and you just got to be confident in the process.
1: Was there some skills that you found that you learned in TV that really helped with the podcast world?
2: I guess how to structure something and the importance of editing and having been on the side of producing talent or the on screen voices, knowing when to shut up, I guess. And like taking your ego out of things a bit and just think focusing on the the end product rather than how much your voice is heard in it or anything like that. Because before we did our podcast, there was a little trend for just unedited chats between friends and stuff like that. But we always felt like if we edit it and just keep it to the absolute best stuff, that's going to make a better show.
0: When you started My Deborah at Porno, did you have any idea that it would get as big as it is now?
2: No, of course not. Not mm. at all. I think it felt authentic because Jamie's dad had genuinely written this book and sent it to Jamie, and we thought it was funny, and we thought, well, maybe if we find, like, I always think as well, if you're making something you you would like to watch or that you think is funny, there's going to be another audience out there for it. Sometimes I work on ideas, and I'm like, would I watch this? And then I kind of <laughs> try to just drop them because I'm like, if I don't want to watch it, why the hell am I pitching it? mm Uh,
1: That's the best gauge sometimes on ideas. I
2: think so. Don't
1: overcomplicate it. it. If you're not going to like it, who else is going to like it? Yeah.
2: So, no, I think we thought maybe we'll get a small niche audience and that would be great. But as far as the level it's got to, no, 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 no. We never, ever, ever, ever expected where it got to.
0: That's so exciting. That really shows you kind of what side hustles can become.
2: But I think you've got to work at them. As I think Mm. we... It it was a definite word of mouth thing, like people were telling their friends about it, and I think we benefited from a punchy title uh, and all that sort of thing. But you've still got to work at building that audience. You still got to really believe in the product and devote a lot of time to. If you if you're making something on your own, you've got to devote a lot. You've got to really believe in it and devote a lot of time to it. Otherwise, it won't flourish. Mm.
0: Yeah. I remember there was a time when I was getting texts about it every day. I was like, have you you listened to this podcast? Have you listened to this show? It's so funny. And then, funny story, the day I started at Fremantle, I got into the lift and I heard your voice. And I'd been listening to it so much because all my friends have been texting me about it. And I heard your voice. And I turned around and I was like, oh my God, it's the guy. It's the
2: guy. Wow, lucky and, you!
0: But did you kind of feel that kind of like wave of like that kind of to me? It felt like suddenly everyone was talking about it from nowhere. We
2: we definitely felt like it was doing well. We knew it was a success and that people were listening. But I was never like wrapped up in the buzz of it. I never was, was quite aware that people were talking about it. Mm. If that makes sense.
1: So, what are your top tips for people with a side hustle wanting to develop a side hustle?
2: Uh, make it happen. Do it because. I know I'm guilty of coming up with ideas that I think are really good and then just not putting the time into making them happen. And think within your means. People can have really ambitious ideas that require a lot of budget, but I think use your your restraints to their advantage. I think the people who end up making the best stuff sometimes do it within kind of what's possible. You know, you can film stuff on your phone now. You can, like... We still do the podcast around the kitchen table with our crappy mics, recording on GarageBand, with freeware you can get <laughs> that comes pre-installed on a laptop. That's the biggest thing for me because I've known people who have been like, oh, I've got this amazing idea. We're going to raise £30,000 to make it happen. I'm like, but what can you do? How can you be like more creative? What can you do smaller? Because pe- everyone's got creative friends they can collaborate with and it ties into the whole peer thing again. It's like, Look around you. Don't look up. Everything you need to make something good is is around you. And that's my biggest tip, I guess.
0: Talking of advice, if you were to look back over your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Mini
1: James. Mini James. Let's set the scene for you. James yes. has just left Leeds University. Yes. And you're bright-eyed and mm-hmm. bushy-tailed and you're thinking... <laughs> Oh, gosh, I'm so excited, and I've got so many ideas, but I just don't know what I'm going to do with them. And then you look back from the cloud, like God, in uh, Bruce Almighty, and you look down on you, and you say,
2: Don't rush, maybe. Or don't... uh, Don't rush or don't be disappointed when things don't go the way you expect. Like, the thing is, I always wanted to work in TV, but I never really had an end goal. So I have kind of take, which is why my CV is a bit weird and kind of swerves from digital to TV and all over the place. So I've kind of just taken the opportunities where they've come. And like early on, I was really disappointed that the presenting thing didn't happen. But now I couldn't be happier that the presenting thing didn't happen. Or don't be disappointed that you didn't get a certain job I just really think, like, things will happen when they're supposed to. And as long as you are working hard to make it happen and saying yes to opportunities, then you'll kind of find your way through it, I think. And also creating your opportunities. I think that's really important. I really, really, really think, especially for people starting out now, creating your own stuff or even if it's on the side and even if it's not your, like, main job if you want to work in the creative industries this is like having something that is yours that helps you hone your skills and learn is really important
1: a lot of careers today are quite patchworky as well so you might pick up skills from your side hustle that you might bring to work that might give you a promotion so I think it's like noticing those things picking them up and running with them where relevant
2: but also the more you can learn and the more you can have skills in a lot of areas I'm not saying you have to be an expert in everything but the more of a Swiss army knife you can be I think that puts you in good stead I've certainly felt like when I've employed people or when I've been employed it's because I can edit and I can do you know what I mean like I think it's important to make sure you're kind of trying to learn as many skills as possible
1: Mm definitely definitely James, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's
2: been really nice. Can I get off this chair now?
0: Yes, you can.
1: <laughs> that was a great episode. So nice to chat to James interviewing one of the biggest podcasters. I know, I'm not going
0: to lie, I was quite nervous (laughs) to interview, even though I know James, we both know James a little bit, we've worked with him for a while, but I was quite nervous to interview one of the biggest podcasters in the world. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you learn from James? I really loved it when he was talking about development, um, just because that's what I do, that's what I'm interested in, and I think he had some really good advice about not always developing what you think they want to hear kind of looking ahead, looking at what's happening right now, what the trends, and also always making shows that you would watch because I think lots of people just kind of make something because they think it's current or they think it's the right mm. thing to be doing right now, but actually, if you wouldn't watch it, don't make it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, what did you want you enjoy? It
1: was lovely hearing about how he's sort of come up with his generation and I think a good bit of advice for people listening is... You don't always need to ask the head of departments or CEOs for coffees as much as that will be useful. Ask people who are your own age. Ask your peers who are maybe in different departments because they might be interested in the same thing. And then you might also be able to work on a project together that you're passionate about.
0: I also think what he said about just doing it was really interesting, kind of just I'm really guilty of this. I'll have an idea for like, oh, I'd love to make a short film or I'd love to make a little documentary. Ditto. And then I'll just be like, oh, but I can't. But, you know, I, you know, if I could, I know I could if I pushed. Yeah. So, you know, you just, just do it and you don't know what's going to happen. Like 99 times it might flop, but it might be my dad wrote a porno.
1: Definitely. Mm. And as my mum always says, you do the stuff you care about. It's as simple as that. You know, if you care about something like this podcast, I've been so keen to get it off the ground for such a long time. And it's slowly but surely, (laughs) over like a year and a half, we're here in our makeshift studio and it's kind of happening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I think if you're passionate about your side hustle, just get it done. So we hope you enjoyed the episode. What a treat to have James Cooper not in my dad wrote a porno on how do you do with hat and (laughs) flow hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you for the next
0: one bye Bye. if you enjoyed this podcast then please please follow us at how do you do pod on instagram and twitter and like and subscribe and review yeah
1: yeah it's really important